I want to go this evening to uh, Pastor talked about Jacob and Esau this morning. I want to fast forward a little bit in that story to one of Jacob's sons. I want to talk about Joseph tonight. If you got a Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter uh, 37. Genesis chapter 37. But I am from a, uh, those of you who may not know, I'm from the South, and I got one of those good old Southern moms and good Southern grandmas. And uh, one of the things, maybe they do it in other areas of the country, but I, don't, I can't speak for that. I can just kind of speak for where I come from. But if you're from the South, there's something that Southern people will often say to you. A lot of times it's Southern mamas. They'll say this to you, right? And they want to get across their sort of their integrity, right? That they are honest and they, they are truthful. And what they want to do is they also want to kind of take away the sting because some of them are quite blunt. Anybody met those blunt Southern mamas? You experienced that, right? So they'll say this. They'll say, honey, what you see is what you get right? They say, honey, what you see is what you get. And I, I feel, though, that's, that's good. They're trying to reveal that there's this integrity, there's this wholeness there, and that they're being honest and transparent, and also that they're going to be quite blunt with you sometimes. But I, I was thinking about that saying, and I began to think about God and His work in our lives, and the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes it feels like that that's not true sometimes of God. That sometimes what we see and what we get are often two different things. That God has made maybe a set of promises in our lives that he's wanted to, he's told us he's going to do something and what we see is not matching up with that. You ever had that happen in your life? God's made a promise to you. He's given you a dream. He's given you a calling. He's given you something that he wants you to accomplish that you believe is going to come to pass, and God speaks it, and there's this incredible maybe peace in the moment that he speaks, and then you walk out the door into the, the grind of the real world, and it's like, God, where, where are you? And you wait, 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 sometimes years for that promise to come into fulfillment. There is perhaps no biblical character more acquainted with that than this character of Joseph. And, and I want to ask this question tonight. What do we do in those moments when it seems as though God isn't coming through for us soon enough? What, what do we do when life beats us up along the way? I want to look at Joseph. Joseph is one of the youngest sons of this man named Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons, and Joseph is number 11 on the totem pole. And Joseph, the text tells us, is Jacob's favorite. He likes to play favorites, and Joseph is his absolute favorite, because he is the firstborn of Rachel. And Jacob, if you remember the story, he's got more than one wife. He's got two wives. He's got Leah, and he's got Rachel. And it, the Bible tells us that he loved Rachel more than he loves Leah. And so is this uh, the firstborn of the wife that he loves deeply, and so he loves this son very much. And we're going to begin at Genesis chapter 37. We're going to read a little bit. We may read the whole chapter, uh, beginning at verse 1 here. Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. And it says this, This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Billah and Zilpha, 
But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his fathers were doing. If you have young kids, he was being a tattletale, right? If you've got younger kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. He said, listen to this dream. We were out in this field and we were tying up bundles of grain and suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you're going to be our king, do you? Do you actually think you're going to reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and because of the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, he said, I've had another dream, and he said, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars, they all bowed down low before me. And this time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What, it, what do you mean by that? What kind of dream is that? He asked, will your mother and I and your brothers, will we actually come and bow down before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father's father wondered what the dream meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their flocks at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. We'll stop right there and we'll kind of fill in the story. So he goes down, if you remember the story, to uh, see his brothers and to work with them. And they see him coming along and they say, Hey, here comes that dreamer. Let's take care of him. And I know if you've, i got a sister and we've had fights and arguments, but I've never like literally thought about doing this. They just start discussing amongst themselves. Let's kill this kid. Like, we're sick of him. Dad loves him more than we do. Uh, Dad loves him more than us. We can, we can take care of this right now. We'll just, we'll just kill him. We'll drop him in a cistern. No one will know. We'll be good. And so they, they see him, and they, they kind of talk amongst themselves, and they dump him in a pit for a moment. And uh, the story goes that eventually what happens is that they sell their younger brother into slavery. And if you remember the story, if, uh, what they do is they sell this young man into slavery, 17 years old, they sell him off. And he goes off into slavery and he's in uh, a man named Potiphar's house. And as he's there, he's falsely accused of, of raping his master's wife and he ends up in prison. And if you remember the story, he's there in prison. And some things occur, and one thing uh, happens, and another thing happens, and then next thing you know, he's interpreting dreams for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And through God's divine providence, again, if you go back and read the story, Joseph is now second in command over all of Egypt, and his brothers and his father and his mother, all of them come, and they end up bowing down before him. His dream is fulfilled. But... It's easy for us to look at the story and go, oh yeah, like it, it had a happy ending. But put yourself in his shoes in the middle of the story. Like he, he doesn't know how this thing's going to play out. All he is is a 17-year-old kid sold into slavery who waits 22 years for his dream and his promise to be fulfilled. 22 years in slavery, in captivity, in prison, being forgotten, being uh, looked over for 22 years. And so the question that I want to deal with this evening is this, is what do we do when it feels like, man, what God promised and what is happening are not together. Like it's not, what God promised is not coming to fruition in our lives. So let's begin. Let's look at this. First of all, 
life did not go so well for Joseph. As we noted, he, his father loves him, but his brothers hate him. It seems as though the text is sort of emphasizing this growth of hatred. So it begins in verse 3. It tells us that the father loved him more than all the other sons. But then in verse 4, 5, and 8, we're told almost with this increasing uh, level that his brothers hate him. It says they hated him because the, the father loved him more than he loved them. And then it says they hated him more. And then it tells us they hated him all the more. So there's this growing hatred in their hearts towards this young man. He, he's the young one. He's the twerp. He's the dad's little favorite, right? This is the way that they see him. But Joseph himself didn't help matters much, right? He, he, he exacerbated the problem. He tattles on his brothers. He has this dream and he tells them about it. And in his first dream, his interpretation is his brothers are going to bow down to him. And the second, his interpretation is this, his whole family's going to bow down to him. And his dreams make his brothers hate him even more. And they plot to kill him and they end up selling him into slavery. Again, I've I've had fights with my sister, but I would never, I've never thought about like selling her off into, into slavery or anything of the such. And these guys, they, they did this to their own flesh and blood. He had a dream, but the world that he lived in was in direct opposition to that dream. I want you to get that. He had a dream that was from God, but the world that he lived in was in direct opposition to that dream. And many times we can feel that way. But two things to notice about these dreams. The text never tells us that these dreams are from God. Now we know that they are, right, as we read the story, but the text never tells us these dreams are from God. Joseph never tries to interpret his dreams. He does not go to his brothers and go, hey, I had this dream and here's what it means. He tells them what it means and they go, oh, so you think you're, we're going to bow down to you. Like his brothers and his father actually are the ones supplying the interpretation. And you wonder if he's not just a scared 17-year-old kid who's going to his brothers and to his dad going, I had this dream. I'm not sure what it means, but what do you think? Because the text, maybe he did, but the text never tells us that, one, that he knew whether or not the dreams are from God, and number two, it doesn't tell us that he himself interpreted his dreams. Now, later on, he interprets his dream for Pharaoh and interprets dreams for uh, the cupbearer uh, the, uh, in, the, in the prison, and the baker. But in this instance, the text does not tell us. He's a 17-year-old. Remember when you were 17 and you're trying to figure out the world? This is a 17-year-old kid trying to figure out how to navigate the world. And he's got this dream and he doesn't know what to do with it. And so he goes and he tells his family and they begin to hate him because of it. They begin to hate him because of it. And listen, sometimes life does not work the way that we think that it should. We get a dream. We have something God's birthed in us, and we go and we share with, and everybody needs to be as excited as we are, right? That's what we want. And everybody's going to be on board with it. But many times that's not the case, and there are moments in life where people, maybe they've mistreated you, maybe they've lied to you, maybe they've done you wrong. Maybe it's a boss who's treated you unfairly, a coworker who happens to hate you for no reason, or relative or loved one who's done you wrong. Maybe it's a, a uh, someone that you love deeply and cared for in a relationship and they've done you wrong. Listen, there are moments in life where people don't treat us right. They mistreat us sometimes because of the plan and dream God has placed within us. It happens. People have this dream that comes from God and sometimes other people see that and they're stirred with jealousy much like Joseph's brothers were. 
Uh, sometimes they don't understand the, the call or the plan or the, the way that God has his hand on your life, and they don't know what to do with that, and so they react out of anger. And many times we find ourselves on the, the end of, a, of people who are angry and bitter and upset, and sometimes we didn't do anything, like we did nothing to deserve it, and yet we end up on the bad end of that stick, Right? And what do we do in those moments? And then it's not just that, but there are moments where we can feel as though God has not treated us right. I let, and I know I'm not saying that, I can say that, and sometimes it's like, well, that, you shouldn't say that, Pastor. No, like, we, we have to be honest with ourselves. Like, there are moments in our lives where we go, hey, God, what, what in the world are you doing? This is what your word says. This is what you have said to me. This is, this is what's supposed to be happening, and here is what's actually happening. God, what... What gives? God, if you're, if you're really good and you're really in control, God, what's going on? When God has promised to do something, but he doesn't seem to be coming through, we know in our hearts that God wants to do something and things just don't seem to be working out. I read a story some time ago of a pastor. He was sleeping in his bed one night and his family was away, thank, thank the Lord. But he's sleeping in his bed one night, and about 3 a.m. he's wakened to, wakens to this sound of crashing glass. And he realizes immediately, as he jolts himself out of bed, someone's in his house. So he grabs a baseball bat or whatever he grabs, and he heads downstairs to try and like ward off the intruder. And he's running down, screaming, leave the house, you know, leave. And he gets downstairs, and as he hits the bottom step, he immediately starts to feel pain. And there's a man there, and he begins stabbing him over and over and over again. And stabs him and leaves him bleeding there on the floor and he starts to talk to him hey where's the money and where's the car keys and he says hey i don't have my money I'm like i'm broke and car keys they're in here and so the guy goes and looks for the car keys can't find him comes back stabs him again and again and again he's left there on the floor stabbed some 37 times the guy leaves him basically leaves him for dead and he says as he laid there in his own blood he begins to ask these questions how could God allow this to happen to me? Here I am, faithfully serving. He had just come home from doing some ministry. And he's laying there asking, how in the world did this happen? If God sees everything, why didn't he stop it? Why do I have to go through so much pain in my life when others are living in such ease and such luxury? What did I do to deserve this? Is God mad at me? Does God really care about me? And if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we don't find ourselves in that extreme of a situation, but we have all been there where we've asked ourselves, does God really care? Is God mad? Did I do something wrong to deserve this? And the question is this, is what's going to be our response when things don't go as planned? Because I have to tell you, if, if you didn't get the memo, like life does not always go as planned. It, it just is the way that it is. I do not fully understand it, I do not fully know why, but it doesn't always go as planned. So what do we do when things go wrong? I think again we look at Joseph, and when things go wrong, here's what we do, we keep doing the right thing. When things go wrong, we keep doing the right thing. We don't see in this story a lot of information on Joseph's spiritual life. We don't get insight into that. The Bible doesn't tell us, and Joseph prayed for 20 hours a day, and the Lord spoke, thus saith the Lord to him. It doesn't tell us that. We don't get, as a matter of fact, we get almost no insight into his spiritual life. What we do get is a lot of good action from him. He seems to always just be doing the right thing, right? 
He, he, he sold into slavery, and his master's wife wants to seduce him. And you can read about that in the next couple chapters there. His wife want, his, the master's wife wants to seduce Joseph. What does he do? He refuses to sleep with her. Even though he could have and maybe gotten away with it, he refuses. He decides to do the right thing. When he's placed in a prison because of his, his wife, the wife of this master, claims that he raped her, he continues to work hard and serves the other prisoners. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to prison for something I didn't do, like the last thing on my mind when I'm getting there, like, I, shoot, I'm not serving people. I don't deserve to be here. Let me out, right? I'm crying foul. He doesn't do that, though. When things go wrong, he continues to do right. He's sold into slavery, yet he refuses to compromise. He's put into prison, yet he continues to serve. And it seems that this young man, steady over year after year for 22 years, just keeps steady plodding along doing the right thing. Even though everything is going wrong, he continues to do the right thing. He just shows up. He's just faithful. He just works hard. And as you read the story, if you read the next chapter, as he's sold into slavery, he does such a good job, it says, that the master puts him in charge of the entire house. He finds himself in prison, and he does such a good job that he ends up being in charge of the entire prison. And it's this incredible story of this young man who just, time after time, when everything, like everything around him is falling apart, and he had every reason to have a breakdown, and he had every reason to, to, to just forget about God and just say, you know what, hang it, I'm going to go do my own thing. He has every reason to do all that, and yet he just continues just to remain steady, faithful, continues to do the right thing. Never once do we hear him whine or get angry. We just keep watching him do the right thing over and over and over and over again. Again, I would encourage you to go home and read it. It's a large chunk of scripture. And most of us are familiar with the story, but it's in uh, this chapter, Genesis chapter 37, and then it picks back up in uh, chapter 39 and 40, and it continues on a little ways. But it's just the story of this young boy who just continues just to hammer away, steady as she goes, just the right thing, the right thing, day in and day out. We don't see this. He could have gotten bitter, he could have gotten angry, yet he chooses to forgive. He continues to do the right thing, and so what about us? When life goes wrong, we need to keep doing right. When others mistreat us, keep doing right. When life seems upside down, keep doing right. Don't whine, don't get bitter, don't get angry. Keep doing what's right. When it seems as though God's promises are a long way off, keep doing right. I know that that sounds like, oh yeah, like that's, yeah, of course. But sometimes it's easy to forget if you've ever played sports. I, I don't know. I, I haven't played sports in a while. You can probably tell. But when I was in middle school, I played a little bit of like middle school basketball, right? That's the extent of my sports uh, exposure, right? And I wasn't even that good. Uh, but I played middle school basketball and it, there were, as, you, as you're practicing, and this is true in music too, which I'm probably a little more familiar with, but there are basic things that, you're suppo that you learn, right? There are basic drills, like you do layups and you do uh, free throw shots if you're basketball, playing basketball. And if you're playing an instrument, you do scales, right? And it's basic stuff that you do over and over. And it doesn't matter how good you get, like you never stop doing those things. You, you have to keep doing them. Because it's part of being, uh, even if you're the best in the world, like you continue to have to do those fundamental things. And I think as Christians, it would be good for us to remember that as crazy as everything gets, man, we got to come back to the fundamentals. It's, just, it's steady doing the right thing. It's steady obeying Jesus. It's steady spending time in His Word. It's steady praying. It's steady attending church. It's steady as she goes. When everything around you is crazy, you just keep hammering away at that right thing over and over, day in and day out, just 
hit it and keep going after it just like Joseph. You know, I'm convinced the world is littered with people who have God-given dreams they'll never achieve because they fail to do the right thing during those moments in their lives when things were falling apart. And I think it's those moments that really test us and try us and God begins to see what's in us. You see, when, when what you see isn't what you get, when you feel like God has promised but doesn't come through, keep trusting and keep doing the right thing. And here's why. I have two kids, and I can tell you that before they were, were born, uh, a few things had to happen. First of all, they're not just, like, you don't just find out that you're pregnant and then, like, the next day, like, ooh, here's the new baby, right? You don't, you, you would go through a process, right? That baby has to stay in that mother's womb for nine or ten months, and it stays there so that it grows and so that it's healthy and so that everything functions properly. And if you, if she, if you, if you don't do the right things during that period of time, something can happen to that baby. Like, it, it will not come into the world, right? And then on top of that, not just inside, but outside, right? There was, like, uh, the nursery had to be painted, right? And new floors went down and we had to buy new furniture. And like the first baby, you buy like way too much stuff, amen? Like you got like way too much junk. And then the second one, you're like, I don't, we don't need it. Like he'll, he'll survive, right? He doesn't need, he doesn't need anything special. Just let him, let him have, yeah, leave him alone, all right? With the first baby, like you need like, you gotta have like special stuff to like hold them with. Like here's the special, they need special bottles. And then you know, like second one, you're just like, whatever, he can, yeah, he'll be fine, right? And then I heard the third one, you're even more like, yeah, they'll make it, right? But there's like things you have to do, right, to prepare for that child to come into the world. Like, it's, it's a process. It doesn't just happen. You have to prepare for that child to come into the world. And here is, the truth is, we've got to allow God to work in us to bring forth the dream or the plan He has for us. But in the meantime, our job is to make it ready for it to make our lives ready for what He's getting ready to do, to make, our, to make ourselves ready for what He's getting ready to do. When you're in that waiting period and everything seems to be going wrong and God's birthed something in you, it's not time to go off the rails and do anything stupid. It's time to keep plowing away and doing the right things and prepare yourself for what God wants to do. That He wants to birth something, but you've got to be ready for what He's getting ready to birth. He wants to birth something in our church, but we've got to be ready for what He wants to do. He wants to birth something in your life, but you've got to be ready for what it is He wants to do. And now, as we close, we're going to do communion, and I want to, I want to turn this story, I want, to, I want to take this story, and we're going to turn it a little bit. Because here's, here's the truth of the matter, is we can read stories like this, and we can almost treat it like Aesop's fables, right? If you've, it's, What's the moral of the story? And we, we could go, okay, the moral of the story is go home and do the right stuff. Be, be like Joseph. That's the moral of the story. But I, I think if we, if we stop there, we miss the point. Because the hero of this story isn't Joseph. It's not Joseph. If we go and we read in chapter 39, just a couple chapters over, Genesis chapter 39, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Genesis chapter 39 and verse 3. The Lord was with Joseph. Genesis 39 verse 21. The Lord was with Joseph. Genesis 39 23. The Lord was with Joseph. It's easy for us to read this story and go, 
oh, okay, go, let's go home and let's be like Joseph. Here's five ways to be like Joseph. Let's go put those into practice. And that's good, but there's a, like, a lot of places we could go and get five steps to like, help ourselves and be better. But that's not what we offer here. Like What we offer is Jesus. Amen. And the, the story behind the story is that it wasn't just about Joseph and his right choices. It was about God and his faithfulness. And the story behind our stories is this, is that God is faithful. Amen. And that the only reason that we can be faithful is because of his faithfulness. That the only reason that we can do the right thing when everything's going wrong is because of his faithfulness. That God, God had made a covenant with the people of Israel. And here is the problem is that God had made this covenant with people. God made this covenant with humanity, that he wants to be in relationship with them. And the problem is that they cannot fulfill, we cannot fulfill our end of the covenant. Like, try as we may, we cannot be good enough. Like, we cannot, we cannot meet those, like, we can't meet the standards. We can't do it. So what does God do to fix it? He steps into humanity in the form of Jesus and does it for us. So not only does he fulfill his end of the covenant, but in Jesus, he fulfills our end of the covenant. And when we are in Christ, now we, have, we can fulfill our end of the covenant. When we are connected to Jesus, and what this story is telling us is that it is not about you and it is not about me, but it is about the faithfulness of God who even when everything is chaotic and even when everything is going wrong, he is quietly working. He is quietly moving. He is quietly arranging things. He's quietly putting things into place. He's quietly being faithful. And if we'll just realize that he's faithful, and then we can begin to respond to that faithfulness. That, that's what this is about. It's about that his faithfulness empowers us to be faithful. That it's not just about going home and doing all of the right things. It's about responding in the right way. It's about learning how to say, God, you've been so good to me. God, I love you so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my life. I'm going to respond in faithfulness. Because you see, there's, there's another story that I, I don't have time to get into tonight, but in the next chapter, there's another story of another brother of Joseph. And his story was not so good, right? He, he also has tragedy in his story. His name is Judah, and he has tragedy in his story. He loses two of his sons. To, they die on him, and he's afraid he's going to lose a third. And rather than listening and being faithful like Joseph does, he just does some dumb stuff. He screws up. And you can read about it. It's a crazy story that you will read and you'll go, whoa, I didn't know that was in the Bible. But he does some dumb stuff. But do you realize that the, the line of Jesus comes through Judah, who did some dumb stuff? Because the story is not about how good or bad Judah or Joseph are or were, it is about how faithful God is. Yeah. And the story of your life, listen, is not about how good or bad you are, but about how faithful God is. Now listen, that does not let you off the hook. That does not say, well, God's been good. I can go do what I want. No, no, then you misunderstood his goodness. Then you completely missed the point. His faithfulness enables you to be faithful. 
His goodness enables you to do the right things. You don't get off the hook. You don't get to go do whatever it is that you want. If you do, then you misunderstood His love and His grace. But the point is that it is not about you and it is not about me. It is about His goodness and His faithfulness. And so I don't know where you find yourself tonight. I don't know uh, that you are, maybe you're facing some difficulty. Maybe you're facing some problems. Maybe your family life isn't what it needs to be. Maybe work isn't what it needs to be. Here's what I would say. Rest in the faithfulness of God and keep doing the right thing. Rest yourself firmly in his love and keep doing the right thing. Rest yourself in him and his grace and his compassion and his mercy and his goodness and keep doing the right thing. And as you do that, man, God will show up. And what he has shown you and what he has the dream he has given you, he will bring it to fruition. Now, I don't know when, and I can't guarantee you, listen, I can't guarantee you that it, you will see it in this lifetime. Because the Bible is full of people God gave dreams, and they didn't see them in this lifetime. I, I said this a couple weeks ago. Here's, here's the thing, that God is, God is in control, but I think sometimes what we what we mean by that is, is that God is sitting up kind of in heaven and he's got these like control switchboard and he's like, boom, he's pulling dials and like slipping levers and stuff like that, right? And God's got it all under control. But here's the thing, man. Sometimes God having it all under control means this, that there is coming a day in which he's going to set everything right. And it, that, that there's coming a day in which he will wipe every tear from our eyes, that he will heal every sickness, that he will make everything right, that he will make everything new, that he will restore things that he will erase sin and he will erase its, its power over us and he will erase its, its impact on us and that we will be with him forever. Like there's coming a day in which he will make everything right and that day is not today. And sometimes that new world breaks into our current world and we see him move and we see him work and we see incredible things happen. And sometimes we have to wait and we just plow forward doing the right thing because there's coming a day when he will make everything right. There's coming a day when he will right every wrong and he will set every injustice right and everything that's been happened to you that you don't understand, that you will understand and everything will come together. But that day is not today. And until then, we pray that more of that future breaks into the present but we also keep doing the right thing as we await that day. Amen. That is our blessed hope. And listen, when we, when we take communion, and you can go ahead and get your emblems ready, when we take communion, we are reminding ourselves, I think, of, of two things. One, we are reminding ourselves of the faithfulness of God. Again, I said it before that you and I cannot fulfill our end of this covenant we have with God, like we cannot do it. So God had to come in the form of humanity and fill our end for us so that now in Christ and because of the cross and because we are in Christ, now we are free and we can fulfill our end of things with God. And so in communion, we're remembering. He said, do this in remembrance of me. We are remembering that sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross that sets us free. And then I think we're also remembering we're remembering this is not the end. Like, this is not all that there is. We're remembering that even though right now, at this moment, there may be things in your life that feel 
uh, crazy and out of control and what is God doing, we're remembering that not only did Jesus die on the cross for us, but there is coming a day in which he will set everything right. Right? There's coming a day when we will sit around the table with him and we will fellowship with him and all will be right in the world. Right? You, you have those, you, we're coming on Thanksgiving, right? And maybe you have that meal from your childhood, right? I don't know what it might be, but that meal that your mom makes or your dad makes. And, and everything could have been crazy that day, but you sit down to the table and you eat with that meal with your family and all of a sudden like everything starts to come together and the craziness of the world starts to sort of cease. And there's coming a day when we will gather together around a table and all the, the, the garbage of the world will cease and we will be with Jesus forever. But until then, this is a, this is a preview of what is to come. This is, this is like a, a movie trailer of the world that is to come. This is a, a, a sign, a, a, a moment where we gather together and we remember the body and blood of Jesus and we remember what he did and we're previewing a world that is to come. We will gather together and be with him and where he will right every wrong and erase every injustice and wipe every tear, heal everybody. <laughs>